0: We are in the fifth, I believe, uh, parable in this series called Telling Secrets, parable study in the Gospel of Matthew, the parables of Jesus. And this morning we're in the latter chapters of the Gospel, Matthew chapter 21. And so if you have a copy of the Bible, you can open it up, turn it on, access Matthew chapter 21. And we will read verses 28 to 32 in the parable or so-called, the parable of the two sons. The parable of the two sons. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. Follow along as I read these verses. What do you think, uh, Jesus says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the, today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of these two did what his father wanted? They answered, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. You know, as the the Gospel of Matthew gets later, as we get further into the Gospel of Matthew... The um, audience of the parables, if you pay close attention, it broadens to include, in this case, the religious leaders in particular. In fact, the section just before the one we read... They're asking him a question. They're questioning his authority. Now, by the time you're here, we're in the last quarter of Jesus' ministry, so to speak, and there's a lot of attention. There's been a lot of things that have taken place. He's, he's much more well-known, and his works are much more well-known, and they're, they're questioning Jesus' authority. Where do you get the authority to do what you do? Who do you represent? What is your... What, who are you all about? So that's what they're questioning their authority. And in many ways, this parable you might say, as a response to that question. Because many of the religious leaders, as we've uh, talked about a little bit earlier in this study, they were not receptive to Jesus' teaching. In fact, the whole reason Jesus taught parables in the first place, we mentioned this five weeks ago, he's, he started to he change the, the nature of his teaching out of um, overnight. For two years as he was building his ministry and traveling throughout uh, Israel, he he would teach like pastors uh, teach all the time. Chapter and verse from the Old Testament, let me give you a sermon. But all of a sudden, one day, he completely changes his style to these extended similes and metaphors, these word pictures, no no Old Testament quotation. And he begins to teach and the disciples say, what gives? Why are you doing it this way? And he said, I'm doing it partly because um, not everybody has ears to hear. And I'm giving these teachings to you because your hearts are open and I want to teach you the secrets of the kingdom of God. That is not a place or a geography, but the kingdom of God is about the rule of God. It's about the reign of God. It's about the power of God at work in the world and here and there and in your life. And I want to teach you these secrets, but it's not for them because their hearts are hard. They've closed their ears. They've closed their eyes lest they should understand. That was the opening teaching in Matthew chapter 13. But as you get closer to the end, you begin to see, as in this case, that Jesus' um, enemies, you might call them, this is so ironic, the people who were Jesus' enemies were the people who were religious leaders and religious followers. It was, it's counterintuitive. But they were, and there's something for us to think about, the people who crossed their T's and dotted their I's and were in when it came to following God according to the outlines of the people of God in that day. They were the people that were most against Jesus. And in some ways, this parable has them in mind. So not is it just a parable that is going to reveal some deep spiritual truth. We'll see that in a minute. There is some great revelation that continues to go on. But this parable, and maybe the last few that we look at, are also a kind of warning, right? They are a warning parable. They are even maybe a judgment parable for them, but I think for us as well. Keep this in mind. When Jesus came into the world... And this is true of, you could say, the whole gospel, right? The whole Old Testament, or the whole New Testament, but the parables in particular. When Jesus comes into the world, or even as Colin said a few minutes ago, as he comes into your life, if you're a Christian, right? If you've been born again, when Jesus comes into the world, everything is called into question, okay? This is really what the parables are all about. Everything's called into question. Think about for a minute. The great teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, we did this a year or so ago, but it's familiar to many people, right? When Jesus is teaching, and Jesus would say this. This is the phrase that's used multiple times in that long sermon. He says, it has been said unto you, right? You've heard it said, and he quotes from the Old Testament, but I say unto you. Let me give you another way of thinking about it. And when Jesus is doing that great sermon, think about this. There's really nothing new there. Jesus doesn't come on the scene and say, you know, the heck with everything you've ever learned. I'm going to give you something new. Ready? He doesn't do that. He, the, the, the great Sermon on the Mount were about the Ten Commandments. They were teachings that were common understanding for all people, certainly Jewish people, but people who understood and followed the God of the Old Testament. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, it's, it's not that you don't know it. It has been said But I say unto you, but this truth that you've carried around with you ever since you were a kid, maybe, has not penetrated your heart and it has not changed your life. And that's where this is a warning, right? This parable is a warning. He said to the first son, this is what I want you to do, right? The father is giving you some, I'll do it. Or excuse me, I won't do it, the first one said. Then he goes ahead and does it. The other one says, hey, I'll do it, I'm in. But he actually never does it, right? It has been said, but I say unto you, right? Jesus is really calling the question in this parable, really challenging people, church-going people, if whether or not what they know actually has penetrated their heart and changed their life. I would say verse 31, and I... I'm not the first person to say this, um, is is one of the most provocative statements that Jesus makes in all of the Gospels. And I I just wish I could do a better job as a a pastor, as a preacher, to impress upon you how radical this statement is. Jesus said to them, right? First of all, he sets them up. Which one of these did what the Father wanted? It's kind of an easy setup. The guy who actually ended up doing what the, God, what the father asked, or the kid who said he would not didn't. Well, the first one did. So now I got your attention, or Jesus has their attention. And then he says something. Then Jesus said to them, right? Truly I tell you, right? Let me be really honest with you. Let me just really, I really want, to gra- I really want you to listen to me. I tell you with everything that I have, truly I tell you, that the tax collectors... And the prostitutes. Now these are, these are for you and me. That doesn't mean much, but if you were a thoughtful Jewish person listening to Jesus, these were the most despised categories. That it's it's, an, it's hyperbole. It's an extreme choice, right? Sometimes we tell stories, and I'm going to use an extreme choice to make a point, right? Jesus says, "Listen. The, why, why were the tax collectors and the prostitutes named twice? Actually, in this short passage of scripture." Why were they so despised? Very quickly, many of you know this. The tax collectors were, 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 were fleecing the people of God on behalf of the occupying power. So if you, if, if you guys were in this couple rows, you're, you're in village, you know, village acts. You live in little village of Nazareth. I come, I might be your uncle, your cousin, your friend. I'm Jewish. I'm not going to come in here with my Roman uh, last name. I'm Jewish. You kind of know me. You, You recognize me. I come and I want you to pay the taxes for the Romans. But see, what I'm doing is your bill is X. I'm saying give me X plus Y. And then on my way out of the village, I put that money in my pocket. And over the course of time, it was understood, people aren't stupid, that they were fleecing their own people. And they became when you said tax. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if it's you know. I don't know what it is if there's even one for you. If I could come up with a name or a class of people or somebody in your history, and I bring up this name and it brings up immediately, it brings up a sort of anger inside of you. It mean immediately it brings up a sense of disdain for you, and you want nothing to do with those people. You don't have. To, I have to say very little before you just you, you have a sense of judgment in your heart. Same went for prostitutes. I might say what gives with prostitutes? And the reason prostitutes had such a bad name in the first century was not simply for the obvious reason that they're you know, doing something that's against the, the, the teachings of Scripture in the sense of uh, prostitution. But in Jesus' day, um, most people that visited prostitutes, men, let's just say, that visited prostitutes, they were married men, okay, okay? In today's world, maybe it's different, okay? Maybe uh, people who go to prostitutes are all over the map. Don't raise your hand in this room, okay? But, uh, uh, I know nobody in here would do anything like that. But, uh, but in that day, everybody that went to a prostitute was married. People got married when they were, um, you know, teenagers more or less. So prostitution was so called out in Jesus' day because it was a violation of of what was the most important covenant, personal covenant, in the Bible. It's how the Bible begins, which is marriage. That's why. Marriage is, is God's great covenant that opens the Bible. It's very special. It has great significance, and it's reflective of the, of the other large covenant, which is becoming a Christian. Okay? So these two things, at least in this culture, brought up very difficult um, uh, uh, images And Jesus is using these very, very strong words to make a point. And that point is this. The difference to this community between heaven and hell is not your record, right? He's trying to make a point to this community. I mean, think about it. I tell you, you people who, you know, if anybody's been anticipating the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus was teaching and in, in his, 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 um, his, his person represented, God's answer to these promises to finally right the wrongs in the world. If anybody's been anticipating the kingdom of God, it's been you guys and girls. No one has anticipated as much as you have. While everyone else is out there living however they want to live, right, you have been showing up to church. You have been working very hard. You have been living right, right, the Religious leaders or the, or the observant Jews. But in the process, here's a warning, this parable's a warning. You've embraced a twisted understanding of what it means to be a Christian, right? Another parable, quickly. It's only in Luke, so I I'm I'm, won't read it, but I'm going to read it. Saying the same thing, making the point. To some who are confident, Luke 9, 10, or excuse me, 18, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. You've heard this. One a Pharisee, a great in a parable, you know, a, a person who was seen as a, a religious leader, top of the charts, let's say. The other a tax collector, okay? He's drawing extreme for a point. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector in the back row. Okay, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, this is a radical teaching if you were there, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, you went home justified before to God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It is true, say, so what, what's your point? It's true that some people are lower on the morality scale than other people. Okay, Jesus isn't pretending that isn't true, right? There are some people that, uh, whether it's an individual or it's even classes of people sometimes, that are lower on the morality scale than others. There are many, many things, morally speaking, that you have never done and you may never do, I may never have done and may never do, that many other people will do. That's not what Jesus is saying. But that has nothing to do Okay. The difference between heaven and hell is not your record. Has absolutely nothing to do with becoming a Christian or entering the kingdom of God. How do you become a Christian? How do you enter the kingdom of God? Well, this parable, the one I just read, tells you. Not by not doing something or by doing something. By simply acknowledging your sin. Whether that sin is tax collection, prostitution, pride, envy, greed, telling a lie, whatever. By acknowledging your sin, open, humbly receiving God's forgiveness. That's how you become a Christian. Godliness. You say, well, where's godliness come in then? Otherwise known as the pursuit of eternal life. Eternal life is not what happens to you when you die. Eternal life is a quality of life that's that's lived out in the life of Jesus that grows in your life and my life. Godliness is a pursuit that grows out of forgiveness, not one that is done to achieve forgiveness. You got that? The difference between heaven and hell is not your record. I can't say that enough. Because the longer you're a Christian, the more you and I forget that. Second, be careful you don't grow blind to what God is doing around you. And this is really the heart of this passage. Be careful you don't grow... Jesus chooses his words very carefully. Twice in this passage, after he answers the question, you know, who did the... Um, the father asked, he said, well, it's obvious, the first son did. He, he, he was a little reluctant at first, but he, he changed his mind and did what God asked him to do, right? He followed the word of God in a manner of speaking. Well, Jesus says, okay, now, now that you got the answer, let me, let me give you, in a manner of speaking, a punch in the gut, you know, for your own benefit. Two times in these verses, Jesus says, The tax collectors and the prostitutes enter before you. Verse 32, John came to show you the way of righteousness. You chose to not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did. Why does Jesus do that? Why does he use those terms two times in in just two verses? He doesn't do it to be cool. He doesn't do it to be clever. He does it to warn people that he loves, right? Right? not just the down and outers he loves the self righteous people too he does it to warn people religious people like some of us that he loves against the very real danger of a closed heart or a hard heart okay john came to show you the way of righteousness but you weren't interested okay you weren't interested listen to jesus words john 7 luke 7 i'm sorry john the baptist was in prison, and he was the sort of herald of Jesus, the one that was prophesied at the end of the Old Testament that God was going to send forth an a, um, advanced man into the world to make sure that people understood the Messiah was finally coming, and that advanced man is named John the Baptist in the spirit and the ministry of Elijah. Now, John's in prison because he says things that people don't have ears to hear, Right? But he sends a his, his, um, couple of his disciples to Jesus say, Hey, Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Jesus says this. Listen carefully. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases. Luke 7. Sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers. He doesn't really answer their question. They just ask him a simple question. Are you the Messiah? But Jesus says Go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now here's the money line. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What in the world does that mean? Why would somebody, if I told you, hey, I met this guy and he's wonderful and he hands out money to people in need, and he, why would that offend you, right? Blessed are those, anyone who does not stumble on account. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I hope that what I'm out here doing in the world, right, with the lepers and the prostitutes, and those who have ears to hear. I hope it doesn't offend you. I hope it's not below you. Okay, that's what he's saying. And if you really want to join me, then you need to open your eyes. You need to open your heart. You need to roll up your sleeves because there is human need all around you. And listen, it's not simply homeless people. Okay? Okay? I mean, that's, you need to start there. I need to start there. It, but it's not simply. And you know what's great about homeless people, just as an example. Could be a lot of examples. I mean, homeless people, it's, their need is very obvious. Right? I mean, for the most part. If you're standing on a street corner uh, with, a, with, a, with a cardboard sign, your need is. And, and the other thing about many homeless people, if you, if you, as you talk to them, they're pretty open to your help. Okay? It's a good thing. But there are spiritually lost and broken people that you live with, you work with, that you hang out with, that you and I pass by every single day. Guys, we live in the richest country, not just in the world. We live in the richest country in the history of the world, okay? And what I'm saying to you is, um, we've, I think we've gotten leprosy under... Uh, I think we've I think we've solved that problem too. You you're not going to see people with leprosy in your neighborhood. Now, why was leprosy, by the way, even called out in the Bible? And it is a lot. There's whole chapters devoted to it in the Old Testament. It's 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 kind of a it's a skin disease. Why call it out? Well. Some of you know this if you're, if you're a student of the scriptures. It's called out because it becomes a symbol. It's a shorthand symbol of what sin ultimately does. And, and see, if you were a leper, you lived in a colony, which is a fancy word for a place that no one else wanted to go, which was far away from everything. And if you had this contagious disease, right? It was like a plague. But when we have plagues. We try to solve them, and they're done, Maybe. But this was a plague that they could not solve. So they put people in colonies. And these people could not go to the market. They couldn't go see their friends. They couldn't go to weddings. They couldn't go to funerals. They sure as heck could not go to church. Okay. So leprosy just simply became a way to talk about people who were alienated from community with other people. And alienated from God. And that, it, was talk, it, was, it was highlighted because it's a great picture of what sin does. And what I'm saying to you guys is, God is at work with the spiritually lost, the spiritually broken, the spiritually alienated in your life. But many of us, I think, if there's an application, see, we're not really paying attention to it. John came to show you the way of righteousness. It's not this self-satisfied, self-serving, I cross my dots and cross my T's. No, the way of righteousness is the forgiveness of sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We're all 11th hour workers, et cetera, et cetera. John came the way to show you this. And I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm not trying to be uh, 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 clever. I want to provoke you. That the tax collectors and the sinners are getting in before you are because you're blind to what God is doing. And what he's saying here in verse 32, okay, is that these friends, in their refusal, John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. In their refusal to receive John's message, repent, turn around, right? Right? I, in, what, what did John's messengers come back and say? He's cured the, the sick, healed the blind, the leper. You know, blessed is anyone who's not offended at me. In refusing to embrace what it is that God was doing in John's ministry, they were also refusing what God wanted to do in their lives. These go together. Are you with me here? Okay. They go together. Be careful. You don't grow blind to what God is doing in the world around you. Right? This is what Jesus is saying in the last verse of this passage, right? John came to show you something. You didn't believe it, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. See, they're, they're the first son. They're saying, ah, the church, who needs it? And, you know, give me another this and give me another that, right? And, and I'm just in it all for myself. But they had a change of heart. They said no, but then they changed their mind, right? They said, I'm in, I'm going to do this. God forgive me. But the religious crowd said, My life's in good shape. This way of righteousness, this whole forgiveness of sin, this repentance thing, I don't think I really that's for those people. And Jesus says, No, you missed it. You want to know why they're all running in front of you? you wanna know why they're running the churches and pastoring the churches? You know, you know why these crazy people are doing that? Because you've become deaf to the things of God. Right? It's a warning. Be careful you don't grow blind to what God is doing. Last point. The decision of faith is to change your mind. This is the heart and soul of the parables. It's the heart and soul of the Bible, really, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The decision of faith is to change your mind. I, son, go and work in the field today. I will not, he answered. A lot of us do that. All of us do that. Here's the key. But later, he changes his mind, right? I listened to the word of God and I let it come into my life. I said, I'm gonna do it. So what Jesus is trying, is getting it. Let me say this in closing. I'm, I'm worried, increasingly worried about the church. And, and I don't mean, you know, uh, simply Browncroft, but it would certainly include Browncroft. And what, do you, what do you mean, Rob? What are you talking about? I think that the church has been caught up, is more and more in the last years, in the tug of war that's going on in our culture. Okay? Right? I'm not just talking about politics, but there's a tug of war going on in our culture. It's I mean, You can hardly get away from it, right? And see, the church is now in the game now of immigration and and um, and climate to c- control, uh, you know, science and in all these sticky social issues, and you know what? I'm not. These are not unimportant. I hope you have an opinion on immigration. I hope you have an opinion on climate change. And some of you in, in these social issues of our day, right? It's unbelievable. I hope you have an opinion. In some of you in this room, some of us in this room actually need to change our mind, right? <laughs> on what we've believed uh, on some of these issues. I will not. But later he changed his mind, okay? That's you. I hope you voted on Tuesday, okay? <laughs> I mean, I did. And I'll continue to do that. However, however, these are not the most important things, okay? These are not the most. In many ways... These things are distractions, okay, in my opinion. My opinion. Every time you open the Bible, and I hope you do it every day of your life, you ought to begin with the question Jesus does here What do you think? Okay? What do you think about what God is saying to you in the Word of God? What do you think, right? Are you just think, saying what you've always said? Are you saying what other people think is hip or what is cool or what is trendy or what you've always thought the Bible meant? You think these people that Jesus is talking to were the lazy self? No, they weren't. They, these, were, these were religious devoted people. But Jesus says, wake up. Truly I tell you. You ready for it? The tax collectors and the prostitutes are gonna get in before you. And I think it's in, in Matthew chapter eight. Jesus says, listen, at the end of time, Abraham and Isaac, and he means all these great names, they're gonna to come to the great feast, the wedding feast. People are gonna come from the north and the south and the east and the west. And there's not just Jerusalem. All kinds of people with all kinds of last names. They're all gonna come, and you yourselves will be thrust out. Right? Religious people. Because if you're self-satisfied, I don't need it. That's for the other people mentality. The decision of faith is to change your mind, right? God's word. There was a man who had two sons. It's the whole human race. He went to to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, sir, I'll do it. I'm in. But he didn't do it. Okay. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. God is doing things all over the place in this world and there is spiritual need all around you be careful friends not to grow a hard heart not to grow a callous heart not to think that you've arrived that you've been there that you know what don't forget the most important thing that you can do is allow the word of God to come into your life right the father's challenges and you might, your first impulse, me, might be, no, I don't want to do it. Right? I will not. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to live. This is, I'm gonna do what I want to do, right? Right? But the word of God is supposed to challenge the way that you think. The word of God is supposed to challenge the way that you live. And God is very gracious. But the goal is that you change your mind about what you've believed, about yourself. That you change your mind about who you think God is. This doesn't happen once. It's an ongoing way of life. And you begin to change your mind of what you thought was true, right? And you begin to embrace what God is showing you is true. As we sang, Holy Spirit, right? Open my understanding right? Reveal unto me, Jesus said, I will send the Spirit. He will, he will reveal righteousness and, and judgment and things to come. Are you open to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? And when he puts his finger on that issue, on, puts his finger on that point of view, he puts his finger on that fear or that anxiety that's been in running your life. And he says, listen, it's time to change your mind right, are you open to doing it, right, the decision at the heart of the Christian faith is to change your mind, is to repent, right, be careful you don't grow blind to what God is doing all around you, amen, let's pray. God, I thank you for these minutes we had this morning. And Lord, I do pray uh, for this, my church family, and, and, uh, and for myself. Lord, as we sit here on this day, listen to these words. Lord, help us all across this room to come to a place of humility, a place of deeper um, humility to realize there's so much that we don't know. And Lord, help us to beat our breast in a manner of speaking, to say, God, have mercy on me and help me to see where today I have allowed some kind of judgment to blind my view, or I've allowed some kind of fear to blind my view motivation, where I have allowed some sin in my life to keep me back, when you've said to me time and again, it's time to change your mind about this thing. Help us to be like the first son in this parable, Lord, that your word would penetrate our hearts, would challenge our thinking, would challenge our um, view, and that we might repent, we might change our minds and redirect our hearts toward following you in this area in our lives. And help us as a church, Father, as we think about what you want this church to do? What a church is and should be. You know, go back and tell them what you see and hear. The blind hear, the deaf are are the deaf hear, and the blind see, and those who have lepers are cured. And help us, Lord, to be open to see the world the way that you do, to see the brokenness and the um spiritual emptiness in the the well-dressed, well-educated lepers that we live by and with every day of our lives. Change our minds. Change our hearts. um, Make them like yours. In Jesus' name, amen.